Hi guys, so it's Mel. Um, we just had a couple things we wanted to cover before today's episode begins. So first of all, today's episode does cover some subject matter that relates to domestic abuse as well as other forms of abuse. And so therefore we will be linking some resources in the episode description as well as on the episode's post on our website. Um, if you or anyone you know is experiencing abuse of any form, we hope that you are safe and that you are able to reach out to the necessary resources as soon as possible. We also do cover in this episode that our website was originally hosted on Wix, we have recently found out the CEO of Wix's views on the current genocide in Palestine, and therefore we have moved our website over to Squarespace. It is under the URL crypticchatterpodcast.com, and I will be linking in the episode description as well as on our website once again uh, some ways that you can support those that are suffering in Palestine currently. And so we hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, welcome to Cryptic Chatter. I'm Mel. And I'm Gwen. And we're going to cover everything spooky and strange. And today we are doing an episode that we both worked on the same subject, kind of. Yeah, different aspects of the same subject. Yeah, different parts of it, but same thing. So kind of a little uh, yeah, project together, I guess. Yeah, except for we didn't really talk to each other while researching at all, except for be <laughs> like, did you include this or do I have to do it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so today we are going to be covering Amityville. Uh, so I'm going to cover... <laughs> Mario headass. Okay. <laughs> Wait, before we before we start, can I tell them something? Yes. First of all, if you identify as a woman and you are between age 19 to 22 and you live in Houston, Texas, I love you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> second of all um i think we forgot to say last week and so if i just want to put it out there this week that when i say we're recording or like we're posting weekly that is going to be on sundays so it's like once a week podcast on sundays because i just i think we forgot to say which day of the week last week yes we did oh also also um it has come to my attention I completely forgot this until now. Um, I made our website on Wix. Um, apparently, the owner of Wix is a huge, um, uh, huge anti-Palestine uh, I person. I see. I see. Yeah. So, I'm so trying to find a website to move our our website over to, but I just wanted it to like be known that I'm not just like ignoring that. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm not yes. I like, wasn't aware of this either. We will make a new website as soon as possible. And yeah, um, yeah, get that done. If our friend in Houston, Texas knows of any um, websites to make free <laughs> websites on. If, you're, um, if, if you identify as a woman and are between the ages of 19 to 22 and you live in Houston, <laughs> Texas, please let us know of a good place to host a website. Also, for some provided context, I was looking at the analytics. So just so... Nobody thinks I'm being, like, strange in a weirdly specific way. <laughs> Back to 
story time. Yeah, back to what this is actually about. Yeah, so um, I'm going to be covering the Amityville murders, which are the DeFeo family. Yes, Um, and then I'm going to cover the alleged haunting, which is the Lutz family. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot of names, and I'm apologizing in advance because mine alone has so many. Well, and don't some of your people have the same name? (laughs) Oh, they do. And then they have nicknames, but the nicknames are like nicknames I don't want to use. And so it's just, there's a lot. (laughs) If you get confused, just know that we are also confused. So we're all in this ride together. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a little hectic. Um, so I don't think there are any huge content warnings for my story. Story, story, story. Main thing is just there's murder. <laughs> so yeah, I also think it's important to note that some of the murder applies to children. I know some people are really sensitive when it comes to children. Yeah. Um. So if this is not up your alley, we totally understand. Feel free to check out. We will see you next week. Yeah. But, um. There's also, I yeah. don't go into great detail, um, but there is mentions of abuse uh, in it as well. Uh, so that's just a pre-warning as yeah. well. Um, I'll like warn before I really say anything, but uh, okay. just a, a pre-warning just in case that's also something yeah. that is triggering because I know that it can be. Um, other than that, I don't really think there's much. Yeah, there's not really much for mine. Obviously, there's the stuff that goes along with a haunting where sometimes, like, spirits get physical, you know? Um, but then there's also, like, a brief mention of not necessarily animal abuse, but of an animal being hurt. He doesn't die, but he gets a little ouchy. Oh. You know what? He's okay, though. I'm sure he lived okay. a long, happy life after this story. Please yeah. please tell me a bedtime story. <laughs> a horrible, horrible bedtime story. This is like a German bedtime story. Oh, God. Krampus. Is he here? <laughs> oh, goodness. One moment. Sorry. Hermes has chewed a hole in his toy, so now he's going to get the squeaker. Okay, I'm back to tell you a story. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> um, he wanted me to chase him. He loves that. He goes so crazy. He'll run around the living room and run into the wall and jump on the couch and use people as like launching pads. It's insane. He doesn't understand boundaries. <sighs> okay. Anyways, let's talk about murder. Yay! So, the Amityville murders had to do with the DeFeo family. Uh, The DeFeo family moved into 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, Long Island. And this was in, I believe, 1964. Uh, So, I'm just going to cover kind of what the house looked like, I guess. A brief description so we know our setting. Tell me all about Um, her. (laughs) The home was a 4,000 square foot Dutch colonial. It's it's a very pretty home. It's unfortunate. 
Um, the home was a postcard for the American dream, basically. Uh, they had a heated in-ground swimming pool, uh, two stories plus an attic that kind of served as a third floor as well, a finished basement, a sun porch, a dock, and a boathouse on the river. Um, and once the DeFeos moved in, uh, Ronald Sr., who I'll kind of introduce later, would put a sign that said, High Hopes, on the yard. Wonderful. Um, the home would later have $50,000 worth of portraits of the family uh, in it as well. So it was really the the American dream of the home. Is it really the American dream if you have... <laughs> were they photographed portraits or painted, painted no, portraits? No, they were, they were painted. Okay, so that's like the Victorian dream then. That's not the American dream. <laughs> they were they were painted portraits. Um, you can find them like so easily um, on Google as well. They're insane. Um, so the family was liked by their neighbors. Uh, I found a couple of reports, uh, just kind of like interviews after the murder. Um, like a local girl told the Times that the father, Ronald DeFeo Sr., would frequently give her rides to her family's restaurant in Brooklyn. Um, a neighbor named Catherine also said that the DeFeos were kind of a really good support system for her uh, after her husband passed away. Uh, so they're just very well liked. Uh, they were very well liked in the neighborhood. Seemed normal. Yeah, the uh, the normal American family, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> so at the time of moving in, the family consisted of Ronald DeFeo Sr., who was the father, uh, Louise DeFeo, who was the mother, Ronald DeFeo Jr., who was 13 at the time that they moved in, Don DeFeo, who was eight when they moved in, Allison DeFeo, who was three when they moved in, Mark DeFeo, who was two when they moved in, and then John Matthew DeFeo would be born a year after the DeFeos moved into the home. Uh, so he was born in 1965. That's like a billion fucking kids. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So it was the parents, uh, Ronald Sr. and Louise, and their five children by 1965. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Th like I said, a lot of names. There's there's a lot. Um, so some sources... It kind of varies. A lot of people, when they talk about it, do suggest that um, Ronald Sr. saved up for this dream home uh, and was, like, fully supporting his family by himself. Um, but also a lot of sources say that Louise DeFeo's father was a huge support system and was, like, the only reason that they moved into this, like, dream of a home out of the apartment that they were living in beforehand. Um which also comes into play a little bit um, because Ronald DeFeo Sr. worked at Louise's father's uh, Brooklyn Buick dealership. So it's kind of... Yeah. It's like there's no like clear whether he was like actually making a lot there or if it was just like Louise's father was helping them a lot. Not too sure. Uh, so Ronald Sr., was also known to be a domineering authority figure within the home. Um, he would often target, target uh, Ronald Jr. and his wife. Uh, the other children, not so much. Uh, even in like uh, Ronald Jr.'s own statements, he said that uh, he didn't really go after the other kids. Like they'd get in arguments, but he didn't really go after them. Then we move on to Louise. Uh, Louise DeFeo was a former model. 
Um, she was known to be having at least one affair while married to Ronald Sr. Get a girl. Um, <laughs> honestly, yeah. Um, however, there are sources that state that there were multiple. Um, it, some of the sources state that it was her hairdresser, um, as well as the teacher at the children's school. A lot of sources state that Ronald Jr. was left to parent the children. Um, he said that that's that com that was completely untrue. Uh, his mother was very involved with the children, and he just loved his like siblings, so that's why he spent a lot of time with them. Weird, weird that he says that right now. Yeah, a little strange. <laughs> uh, so obviously, the younger children, there's not a lot of public information about them. Um, because they were very young when they died. Um, however, there is plenty of information about Ronald Jr. Um, as most people know, uh, it's a fairly popular case. He was the one that was arrested for the murders of the family. Uh, so most of the information that's out there is about Ronald DeFeo Jr. Or from him. Or from him, yeah. Um, so... Ronald DeFeo Jr., uh, also known as Butch to his family, and Ronnie Butch. to his friends. Yeah. <laughs> Butch lesbian. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, and Ronnie to his friends was born September 26, 1951 in Brooklyn, New York. Um, this makes him a Libra, in case you're wondering, I'm pretty sure. Okay. I'm putting this in my in case mind I'm for later. So it's important to state, because I won't be using the nickname Butch, um, that this was heavily enforced by his father, Ronald Sr., um, who would apparently grow very irritated if anyone referred to uh, Ronald Jr. as anything but Butch, as he didn't want to share a name with his son, which is a little ridiculous. Uh, Why would you name your son you after your you son. if you didn't want to share your name? Literally. Like, why would... Uh-huh. That makes no sense uh, at all. I just imagine being a man um, and also stupid. Most of them don't have to imagine. <laughs> Our current audience is all apparently um, identify as as female, so I don't feel bad saying that. Yeah, according to our Spotify <laughs> statistics. Um. So Ronald Jr. was a consistent victim of bullying and relentless taunting at school. Um. He was also a victim in his own home uh so brief little warning i'm going to talk about the abuse i'm not going to go into detail but just mentioning it sometimes can be difficult uh so as previously stated ronald jr was one of the main victims of his father's rage um instances of the abuse uh supposedly began when ronald jr was uh between the ages of three and four jesus um, yes. what do you have so against a child that's literally like two feet tall like what is a child that's three or four doing what yeah it's not like they're, you to do that it's not like they're instigating at all like they're three years old the most they're doing is like being a little annoying while they play with their toy like don't have children if you don't want to deal with a three or four year old so the abuse would vary from throwing things at him um in one instance a wooden chair was thrown at him um as well as a pool cue um as well as beating him with his bare hands so wasn't uh plus it wasn't the american dream that they kind of 
displayed to everyone publicly. So uh, Ronald Jr. began to lash out at his father. Um, for him, this was expressed physically. Um, he would also lash out as his friend at his friends as well. Um, this behavior caused uh, the DeFeos to take Ronald Jr. to a psychiatrist. Um, Ronald Jr. didn't believe that he needed help, so the visits quickly ended. So once the doctor visits ended, his parents began using cash and presents to try and encourage positive behavior. Um, so this included a $14,000 speedboat. So these Bro, small gifts. I'm sorry. If someone was like pissing me off severely, I'm not going to try to get on their good side by giving them a speedboat that costs $14,000. It's also just like, have we not learned through all the years that humans have been in existence and humans have been parents that that's not, that doesn't work when a it's child not is a, acting out? Yeah, it's not a long-term solution to reward bad behavior. Like I giving your kid gifts is not going to make them happy in a home where they're being abused. Yeah. Give him as many bolts as you want. He's still going to act out. Literally. Uh, so by the age of 17, Ronald Jr. had become an LSD and heroin user and was expelled from school for his violent outbursts. So clearly the gifts weren't working. No, they needed to get him some help. Yeah. Uh, so at age 18, uh, Ronald Jr. was given a like very vague job at the family's car dealership where he was not given a strict schedule or assigned specific tasks. Instead, he was just he just received a like standard stipend um, no matter what amount of work he did. Just I wish my job was like that. I wish too. I could show up like whenever I wanted, <laughs> do whatever I wanted and then just get like paid my regular amount. I wish there was a set amount that I just got paid even if I didn't do anything. Basically, put us on salary, Mr. Boss Man. <laughs> you know who you are. Um, I have to let Hermie out. So one moment. Okay. Elevator music. I'm back. You just like that totally did not pick up. It was like <laughs> I'm fat, and then it went so high pitched that it just cut out. <laughs> I'm kind of glad it did, honestly. Uh, so he funneled his salary from this position into uh, his new car, guns, alcohol, and drugs. Oh, goody. So, yeah, money's going towards good things. So Ronald Jr.'s violent outbursts didn't stop. Um, they continued uh, and ranged from threatening a friend with a rifle during a hunting trip, then later that day acting oh like nothing God. happened. Um, I couldn't find the context as to why he had done it. Uh, it honestly sounded like he just did it. Because he's and then literally crazy. Like he didn't. Yeah, a little Looney Tune, but... Little Cuckoo Bananas. Yeah, um, so he also attempted to shoot his father with a 12-gauge shotgun during a fight. Uh, he did pull the trigger at point-blank range, uh, but the gun malfunctioned. So, one may consider that attempted murder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I also found some other, uh, kind of portions of Ronald Jr.'s life that 
I aren't really talked about as much. Um, they are his own statements, so I can't say whether they're true or not. Yeah, the validity of these statements is questionable. There's no backing evidence that I could find, but I feel like it's worth stating anyways because these are things that he believed that he participated in. Uh, so it gives some context into, like, some more context into who he was and what he believed. Uh, so he did state that he had participated in a bank robbery in 1973 with two other men. Fuck yeah. Get that thread. <laughs> Get it, I guess. Um, he also states that he helped his father hide a body of one of the men his mother had an affair with. So Worst dad of the year award. Honestly. Honestly, worst dad of worst dad, worst dad. That's it. Worst dad. Period. And I know some pretty bad dads. Full stop. <laughs> worst dad. Um. So he also said that he had attended occult meetings. Um. One of the times he had ran away, uh, with the purpose of forming an intimate relationship with the woman who tried to recruit him. Uh, <laughs> so he said, "I he wanted to hit it, so I practiced devil worship." literally he like goes into like great detail in this book um just being like she was so gorgeous and like i went to this meeting and they were all in black robes and they were talking about satan but like i stuck around i just mostly from a girl who tries to summon the devil honestly now hear me out (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't sound so bad it sounds a little frightening. Like, I'm worried there's going to be teeth down there. Isn't that a movie? Why did I, like I just say, why did I just think Jennifer's body? I don't think she had teeth <laughs> vagina. No, I don't think she did. It would have been insane I think she should she have. Was, honestly. Maybe a controversial opinion. I think the movie would have been better if she had a teeth for vagina. I think the movie would have been better if there was more lesbianism. Yeah, probably. Men were the whole just... problem with that movie. They should have just cut them all out. Okay. So, something that's been proven, though. We found some facts, boys. Um, In 1974, uh, feeling irritated by what he considered a meager salary. A meager salary of money for doing nothing. Yep. Um, Ronald Jr. plotted to embezzle money from the family's car dealership. I feel like he could have just asked his family for more money and been like, if you don't give me more money, I'm going to beat people up again. And they would have been like, okay, here you go. Oh, literally. Uh, So in late October, the dealership entrusted him with the responsibility of depositing more than $20,000 in the bank. Well, and that's their first mistake. Ronald Jr. planned a fake robbery with a friend, agreeing to split the money evenly with his accomplice. Uh, The plan went off without a hitch until police came to the dealership to question him. Instead of calmly answering officers' questions, um, he exploded into a rage. He was like, why would you think I did it? Oh my gosh, I didn't even do anything. And they were just like, we just said hi, and how are you? (laughs) We just asked if we could come in. Why do you even have questions for me? I didn't do shit. I don't know what you're talking about. You're sounding crazy right now. I didn't do anything. Don't check my pockets. I do not have 10,000 cash in here. <laughs> so police were suspicious that he was lying, of course, because... Has no shit. No fucking shit. So they asked him to come to the station to for some questioning, and he refused. Way to be suspicious. Uh, 
literally. So Ronald Sr., his father, began to suspect his son. Um, but when he questioned his son about his lack of cooperation with police, Ronald Jr. threatened to kill his father. Really important here, um, date-wise, just going to do a little reminder, that he did this in October of 1974. Okay, it's imprinted into my brain. Now we are going to talk about November 13th, 1974. I already forgot which day in October this happened. There was no day. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> it's just October, same year. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I got distracted because you were, I was like, I'm imprinting this into my brain. And then I was thinking about Jacob and Renezme <laughs> in the Twilight movies. And then, yeah, sorry. I, <laughs> I got distracted. No. Okay. So he tried, he stole in October, 1974. And now we're talking about November, 1974. Okay, got it. So, November 13th, 1974. We're going to do a brief little summary again of some ages here. Um, Ronald Sr. and Louise are 43. Ronald Jr. is 23. Don is 18. Allison is 13. Mark is 12. And John is 9. Okay, so basically they're all babies. Yeah, basically. Um, So, on the evening of November 13th, 1974... The DeFeo family went to bed. I put down as per usual. I don't know whose usual is not going to bed. As per usual, I went to bed at the end of the day (laughs) instead of just uh, fucking around and finding out. In the morning, they were all dead, except Ronald Jr. That's important. Oh, how'd this happen, Mel? Please tell us. It must have been a guardian angel or something protecting him from, from a robber or something, right? Honestly, I don't know why he didn't come up with that one. (laughs) so now is when i'm going to do a little uh warning i'm going to talk about murder uh, and that includes some children uh the family were all found in their beds uh ronald senior was shot twice uh one through his kidney and one through his spine lodging in his neck louise was also shot twice one shattering her rib cage and one puncturing her right lung uh mark and john had been killed by a single shot to the back as they lay prone in their beds uh, the bullets ended up lodged in the mattresses below them. Allison and Dawn must have stirred as they had gotten part of their faces shot off. May I ask, are you going to talk about how they were positioned in the beds? Like how they were all positioned like the exact same way? Yeah, I'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> so all of the murders uh, had taken place within 15 minutes. Um, the murder weapon was found in the shallow waters of the boathouse. Uh, it was a... Okay, it was a 35 caliber Marlin rifle. Um, I will just state now, this did match um, one from Ronald Jr.'s secret gun stash. His secret gun stash? His gun stash was a secret? It was a secret, apparently. <laughs> so now, to your point, um, a pathologist uh, investigating the case did state that it was very bizarre that the family were all in very similar positions when they passed um because they were all kind of obviously laying in the same way which doesn't make sense especially yeah especially for the way like that allison and don were shot feel free to cut this out if you uh have information that you're gonna say this later but one of the brothers actually had some sort of injury that made it so he couldn't sleep on his stomach and he always slept on his back so it's not just like they were all happening to sleep on their stomach and got shot. Yeah. It's also just, like, really odd. Like, not everybody sleeps on their stomach. No. 
So this uh, puzzled authorities, um, as well as the fact that all six victims, um, because of the way that they were laying and things like that, like it would, most people would assume that they had died in their sleep other than Dawn and Allison, uh, who were shot in the face. And so they must have kind of stirred and woken up. So they were very puzzled as to how all six victims had died without a struggle, because you'd think that you would hear a rifle going off well especially um, like in the parents room they were like right next to each other you would think you would hear somebody getting shot in the bed next to you yeah and like it took 15 minutes so that's still like it doesn't make sense that only dawn and allison would be the yeah. one sister um none of the neighbors uh heard gunshots as well um and the gun that he was using um i don't know if this is true but i a bunch of places stated that you couldn't use a silencer on it um, and no silencer was found, so it's not as if a silencer was used. Yeah. Um, I imagine they didn't find all a the neighbors... pillow with a gunshot in it either. No. Um, so all, all the neighbors heard was the DeFeo's family dog, Shaggy, barking, which they um, was apparently very normal. Apparently he would just bark a lot. He's um, just like I know Hermes. a dog like that. I like Hermes. Um, so yeah, um... None of the neighbors heard gunshots, uh, just the dog. Um, My next little portion is literally called, Where Was Ronald Jr.? Where was Ronald Jr.? I know know everyone's wondering, where was he? Certainly not behind the gun that was shooting everybody. No. So the events that are believed to have occurred uh, that night that resulted in Ronald Jr.'s conviction are... Um, he entered his parents' bedroom and shot them both while they slept. He then entered his brother's room and shot them, then entering his sister's room and shooting them. Uh, there is some speculation because um, none of them really seemed to stir or move um, as to whether the family was drugged before they went to bed that night uh, in order to keep them asleep. Was there a toxicology report? I couldn't find anything like proving whether or not they Did had Did they been. do toxicology reports in the 70s? Experts did say that this is a little iffy. Most things that he would have had access to would have worn off yeah. if they ate it at dinner um, by the time that they were killed. Okay. So it was Ronald Jr. did come out later and say that he did drug his family. Um, but like I said, uh, experts did say that it was I, it was highly unlikely because at the point that they were murdered, the drugs would have probably worn off. And so they wouldn't have had the effect. Mm-hmm. Like if that if he was planning on doing that, he would have probably murdered them much sooner. Yeah, or they, he would have had to give them, like, a little bedtime snack. Yeah, which I I highly doubt that, like, his father is accepting a bedtime snack from yeah, him. Yeah, he's like, guess what, everyone? I made brownies. <laughs> and they're probably like, Ronald. These taste like poison. Um. So it is believed that Ronald Jr. then showered, dressed for work, and collected his bloody clothing and the murder weapon in a pillowcase. Just like trick-or-treating. <laughs> Imagine someone comes to your door and they are like, trick-or-treat, and they open <laughs> their pillowcase and it's bloody, bloody clothing and a gun. Um, I'd give them candy anyways and close my door and lock it. I would give them extra candy in hopes that they never came back. So he then, of course, disposed of this pillowcase. Um, upon arriving at work, Ronald Jr. called home pretending not to know why his father hadn't shown up for work. So this is um, the next morning? Yeah, so this, well, they were murdered um, in the morning, like, kind of in, like, oh, a okay, okay. face. Like, it was kind of, like, you know, 
And that's space before you consider it morning. Like, I think it was between, like... Like, 4.35? Yeah. Um, so he called uh, his father, uh, obviously, because people were like, where the fuck is Ronald <laughs> Sr.? Ronald Jr.'s like, uh, Dad, I just showed up to work for the first time in, like, six months, and you're not here. <laughs> I showed up to work early today, Dad, and you're not here. Um, so, Where's at noon... Dad? <laughs> <laughs> i'm all alone <laughs> i'm too small to be here on my oh, own, my own. <laughs> <laughs> okay so i knew stop i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> so at noon he, he, you're gonna love this one too at noon he had decided he was bored of work <laughs> and left to spend the day with friends oh my god um so, Mel, when we go to work on Monday, I'm going to leave at noon. I'm going to be like, I'm bored, actually. I'm going to go spend some time with my friends. <laughs> he literally said, mm, I'm done now. The fucking, that, like, audacity of this man. Can we recall when he thought that his salary was bad? You can leave halfway. You can decide that you're bored halfway through the day and just leave and still get paid. If I did that, I, fe I feel like I'd get fired. Insane behavior. So, later that day... um, into the night, actually. Almost an entire day after the deaths. So we're talking, like, late. Yeah. Early, even. Um, yeah. <laughs> Ronald Jr. burst into a local bar and shouted about something having happened to his family. Uh, some of his friends accompanied him to the house, broke in through a window, and disco discovered his dead family. Uh, Did he not friend... have a key to his own house? Yeah. See, I don't know why they broke in through the window. I don't know. Okay, Because he left the house. <laughs> he left the house. I don't know. That's a fair question. I'm confused, too. Some of this is just reeks of bullshit. You're damn right. <laughs> <laughs> You're damn fucking right. Um, his friend then phoned 911, informing them of what they had found. I actually um, found the transcript for the 911 call. I'm not going to read, read it, here. it to me? Oh. We'll link, we'll link to it on the website. It's quite long, and a lot of it, honestly, because his friends were at a bar, is so much of the, like, operator being like, sorry, what's going on? And the person being like, well, they're, we're they're here. All, you're all shot. They've got holes in them. Literally, and the operator being like, where <laughs> are you? And the person being like, Amityville. Oh, and the operator being like, like, North Amityville? Amityville. <laughs> so, like, it... Absolute nonsense. Um, so, an investigation begins, of course. Uh, Ronald Jr. was questioned multiple times. Uh, he was questioned in the kitchen of his home. Um, insane thing to do, by the way. Oh, like at if the you... crime scene? Insane thing to do. <laughs> uh, then at a neighbor's home, so I guess they let him leave the house where his family was murdered. Okay, like, if he wasn't guilty, that's, like, a fucked up thing to do. Literally. Be like, let's just stand in the kitchen when your murdered family is all upstairs and let me ask you so many questions. Police have such an audacity. <laughs> they certainly do. Um, so, uh, he was questioned at the neighbor's home, and then he was questioned at the precinct as well. He claimed that it was a local mafia figure that had murdered his family, um as, like, other members of his family were known to have had ties to the mafia. Um, he states that there was an old grudge between mafia hitman Luis 
Fellini. Okay. It's Italian. I spelled it wrong. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I think so. Louise Fellini and the family um, over some work done for him at the dealership. Uh, So I guess he was pissed about something. Um, He informed the police that he had been up late watching TV and unable to sleep and left for work early. Something he's never done in his life. Literally never in his life. Uh, Has he been early for work? Or at work? Ever. Literally. Um, He said he believed his family to be alive when he left for work. Sure, 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 sure. Weird. Like, oh, my dad's still in bed. Even though he probably works in like an hour. And he actively Um, shows up to work the majority of the time. uh, So police put Ronald Jr. in protective custody. Um, because at this point they believe that there's a hitman out there trying to kill his entire family, um, and they've just somehow missed him. So, after police more carefully searched the family's home, uh, Ronald Jr.'s testimony began to crumble, of course. They found the empty box for the uh, purchased rifle uh, that matched the murder weapon. Rifles Um, come in boxes? Apparently. This is crazy. What did you think they came in? Bags? No, I just figured that they were, like, in the nude. Like, it was just, like, a gun with, like, a piece of string tied around it with the price on it. I don't know. <laughs> we live in Canada. We don't sell guns here. <laughs> How do you think that they're shipped to the store? Just in a fucking pile. <laughs> That's not dangerous. Listen, listen. Well, they're not loaded when they're being <laughs> shipped. To- what do you think? How do you think they're shipped to the store? <laughs> loaded <laughs> safety off <laughs> our, our listener in Houston is gone <laughs> she's writing an essay she's like okay here is how guns get to the store and how they are displayed and how they are sold sorry we don't sell guns in Walmart so I'm just like yeah no, I don't she's, know. she's done listening goodbye Houston <laughs> she's like I'm gone I love you Y'all, I'll miss you I just don't know guns that's it. Period. Full stop. I don't know guns. Yeah, I mean, don't know her. Never met her. All I know about her is that my brother had a BB gun one time, and he shot me in the ass when I was jumping on the trampoline. Oh, that is so fucked up. It was fucked impressive. up. Impressive. Like he was sitting. Okay, and you know what's even more impressive is he was swinging on the fucking swing set when he did it. <laughs> <laughs> and there, oh. and and get this, there was a net on our trampoline. So he somehow was swinging on the swing set, shot through the net of the trampoline, which I was jumping on, and got me on the fucking ass cheek. I left am a, so left glad. a welt and everything. I'm so <laughs> glad he's not in a country where there is easy access to guns. Not that I my... think he would use it, but like... Uh, think again. Literally a month ago, he took my grandma to a fucking shooting range just so they could shoot things. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's like clinically insane. <laughs> Baller grandma moment though. Baller grandma moment, yeah. Um anyway, sorry, what's going on in the DeFeo family? Well, they're dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh so what's what's going on with, with Ronald Jr.? Oh, okay. So as the timeline comes together, um it's discovered that the murders happened in the early morning, as we kind of went over. Um, placing Ronald Jr. at the home at the time of the murders. So the police are like, um, really weird that that guy came into your house to murder your family and just didn't just murder you. you. Yeah. While you were watching TV. Like, he walked past you in the living room and was like, oh, hey, Ronald Jr. 
Raj and it's like, oh, hey, they're all upstairs, oh, hey. by the way. I'll just ignore the noises. <sighs> Anyways, so when police approached Ronald Jr. with this new evidence, uh, he began to change his story. He said that Fellini and an accomplice dragged him from room to room as they murdered his family. Uh, so he's changed the story a little bit. Just a bit. Just a tad. Just just a little bit. Um, however, it was later discovered that uh, Fellini was, in fact, out of the state at the time of the murders. So He's like, hey, I'm in Italy. A pizza pie. Oh, I sure hope no one's Italian. (laughs) (laughs) We have no Italian listeners. Oh, we're losing them all, Gwen. Okay. As the story unraveled, police got a confession from Ronald Jr. Whoa. Um, He said, once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. Can't say I relate. I've never murdered a bunch of people. Yeah, neither have I. I don't think that's a very... um, relatable thing sorry i'm talking your ear off i'm realizing no you're all good i'm having a good Mm time okay good everybody else you better be having a good time because i'm not done yet okay good (laughs) okay so the trial yay um (laughs) trial back to the back to the topic uh, so the trial started nearly a year after the murders on October 14th, 1975. Hi, Tinky. <gasps> Stinkerton. She's here to listen and get her hair in my nose. So sweet. I love her. <laughs> okay, goodbye. <laughs> Bye, Stinky. I'll miss you. Okay. I don't know what that was. Uh, she got Just... up, sniffed the mic, sniffed my nose. and then left. <laughs> She wanted to guest star. <laughs> she just got nervous and didn't know what to say. She said, oh, fuck. Now I'm on air. What do I do? <laughs> so the trial started nearly a year after the murders on October 14, 1975. Uh, Ronald Jr.'s defense attorney, William Weber, attempted an insanity plea for him and had him tell the jury that he heard voices that told him to kill his family. The voices. The voices! They're telling me to kill Gwen. Oh. What? <laughs> so, the psychiatrist for the defense, Daniel Schwartz, Schwartz. Uh, supported the claim, saying that Ronald Jr. was neurotic and suffered from dissociative disorder. That doesn't mean you can kill people. Just because you want to do something doesn't mean you can. Doesn't mean you should. That's the That's the life lesson of the day. Um, so the psychiatrist for the prosecution, however, uh, Harold Zolan, uh, proved that Ronald Jr. suffered from antisocial personality disorder, actually. In this case, uh, he would be aware of his actions, um, but more than likely he would be motivated by a self-centered attitude. Um, so the insanity plea doesn't really work because he is aware of what he did. Uh, jurors agreed with this assessment as well. So, in court, Ronald did admit um, Mm -hmm. he had killed them all, then discarded the evidence, gone to work, gotten high with some friends, and then ran into the bar trying to act his way out of it all. Um, So, on November 21st, 1975, Ronald Jr. was found guilty on six counts of second-degree murder. Uh, He was sentenced to six consecutive life sentences and sent to Greenhaven Correctional Facility in Beekman, New York. Um, 
his motive is often questioned um, because many can find um, kind of reasonable motive for why he would have killed his parents. Um, yeah, but like the siblings? Yeah, but his siblings uh, is where it gets a little tricky because people don't really understand. Um, that being... S- he claimed to like love them and yeah. spend a lot of time with them. So why would, if you love them, why would you kill them? Yeah. Uh, that being said, um, I think it's also important to uh, note that, like, he is mentally ill. So even if uh, we as a society, oh, my God, society, we live in a society, um, we as a society don't really understand why he would have done it. There was probably something. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he had a reason, like, oh, I don't want them to live in this terrible world. Yeah. Or something. Or, like, it would be cruel to make them live without their parents. Or even if it just but, simply like, is what he said, where he started and he couldn't stop. And he couldn't stop. Yeah. It is also believed that potentially he wanted to cash in the life insurance money for the family. Um... That being said, I did read some interviews where he did talk about how the family handled the money um, while he was in prison, and he didn't seem to really care about, um, because he did end up getting the money, like technically he did end up with the money in the house under his name, and he didn't seem like he cared that much about it, like in a financial stance. Um that being said, he could have cared more if he wasn't in prison. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. There's also, uh, in the novel that I read, uh, where he was interviewed, uh, he did state that his he had heard his father and his great-uncle talking about murdering him. Um, wasn't his great-uncle, like, an ex-mob member? Yeah, something? he was a known uh, member of the mob, so... I, so, like, a reason to be frightened. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's understandable. If it's true. It, it would have been understandable to be like, oh, shit. Um, I think it is important to remember, though, that he did uh, blatantly threaten to kill his father a month before uh, the murders. Okay. So, yeah. Motive uh, still a little questionable. Not too sure about it. Uh, some people obviously do believe that he was possessed in some way or something was going on uh, in the paranormal sense that caused him to do it. Uh, Once again, not proven though. So he died in prison in 2021 at the age of 69. Uh Funny Uh sex number. Funny sex number. Oh. Oh, Jinx. You owe me a soda pop. Okay. Just remind me at some point. And you might think, oh, Mel's done. Talking our ear off. Yay. <laughs> no. I'm not. I have there's more. Seven, but wait, there's more. <laughs> but wait, for 10 m- m- easy payments of $9.99, I-, I could tell you more. Or you can pay $0 and just stay tuned. <laughs> that works too. Um, so, throughout the years that he was in jail, Ronald Jr.'s story changed consistently, um, as it already did when he was not in jail. Um, so, this novel that I mentioned a couple times uh, is by Jackie Barrett. Uh, she's a Brooklyn psychic. 
she kind of discusses her experiences speaking with uh, Ronald Jr. Um, however, I'm going to make it very clear that um, many people criticize this book. Um, she does talk about herself a lot. Uh, the amount of stuff I had to skip over because it was just her talking about herself was ridiculous. So she talks about herself more than she talks about Ronald Jr. And to a lot of people, because of when it was published and stuff like that, it does seem like a bit of a cash grab. Um, that being said, uh, if she did actually sit down and have these conversations with Ronald Jr., um, it does give us some insight into where he was at and what he was believing. Um, some insight into my dark psyche. Oh, God. <laughs> Just a glimpse into my my dark mind. <laughs> Spending a day in here would kill you. <laughs> uh, so Jackie says that she was drawn to Ronald Jr. Um, kind of in like a spiritual way, I guess. Uh, stating that she didn't know if he was guilty, innocent, or insane. But she sensed he was besieged by a fearsome evil. Um, yeah, it's called being a murderer. Uh, she's a little Looney Tune. <laughs> a little cuckoo bananas. <laughs> cool. Couple little pieces of information, I guess, about his time in prison. Um, so later in life, uh, Ronald Jr. did seem very concerned that his father was with him. Um, he would see him in mirrors when he looked at himself uh he consistently told jackie that he was scared that his father was coming to get him um and he would talk about how he had spent his life running away from his father and now um even in death his father was coming after him uh, so even if he was cuckoo bananas um he was like mentally haunted yeah like this is a like traumatized man and like i don't want anyone to think that i'm like telling this because like oh like he had a reason like it was okay like no it's it's no <laughs> not okay to murder people but it is important to remember that like an explanation not an excuse yeah like he was he was human too and he was not a good human but he was human and no human deserves to be treated the way that he was treated by his father um so he consistently spoke about needing to be released from the pain um, and how he wanted to tell the truth. Um, so in this novel and also kind of in public, the public eye as well, later on, Ronald did point the finger at his sister, Dawn, um, who, once again, a little reminder, she was 18 at the time of the murders. 18. Okay. I was just about to ask. I was like, is that the one that was like 13? No. So she was the one that was um, uh, second oldest. Okay. Um, so this was a brief kind of, while police were investigating, it was kind of a brief thing that was brought up because there was unburned gunpowder found on Dawn's nightgown. Um, however, oh yeah. Uh, however, professionals did indicate that this can happen. Um, it's rare, but it can happen if a victim is like close enough to the person, uh, who is firing the gun at them. Uh, so it was kind of dismissed as uh, just one of those those cases, I guess. In Ronald's kind of explanation of of the events, uh, he indicated that the day before the murders, um, Dawn had told him that she had had enough with their family. Um, 
and she had pulled a knife on her father uh, when they got into an argument and proceeded to chase him around the home, um, which is horrible. But in my brain, I'm honestly imagining like cartoon, like Tom and Jerry style. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently at this moment, uh, Ronald Jr. was just standing there high laughing um, while this occurred. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> uh Apparently, Ronald had explained to Don that if they were going to do something, uh, it couldn't be in the home. Uh, he did mention that this was in part because of his siblings. Um, mm. The little guys. Yeah. Uh, so that night, the night of the murders, Don had appeared um, in Ronald's room wearing gloves and holding one of his guns. So he obviously got up with her. They had kind of a brief discussion. Um, she seemed seemed kind of set on what she was going to do. He states that he had shut the children's doors uh, before anything started. His father woke up um, as they entered uh, his parents' room and before the shooting began. And at this point, Ronald Jr. was holding the gun um, and he shot his father. Um, then his mother woke up and she had a gun herself, uh, and through a flurry of kind of shots and fighting, uh, Dawn ended up shooting the final shot at her mother. Uh, Ronald Jr. told John, uh, John, that's little baby, um, Dawn, that they must remove the stored money, uh, from the house. So apparently the family had like a million dollars in a safe and he was like, we got to get this out of the house. Like, we can act like it was a robbery or something. He also states that their neighbors were on their porch. And when he looked out the window, um, he could see them staring kind of like up at like the parents' window in the house. Um, and he states, oh. like, I knew they saw me. Like, I knew they saw me. Um, and when he exited the home to go to his vehicle, they were out on their front porch watching him. So, after kind of like reading that i was like okay so they were on their back porch but then they were on their front porch as well so i'm if this is his recollection of what happened that might have been something that he kind of formed in his head i think um especially because there was no record of them ever kind of speaking up about this yeah i feel like if they somewhat witnessed what happened they would have uh said something yeah so i don't know if like if He's telling the truth, which he was convicted possible. for a different story, but it is possible. We don't know. Um, it could have been just kind of guilt forming and yeah. him kind of seeing that. Um, so then he set off to Brooklyn with the money, trying to give it to his grandparents. Uh, they inevitably refused and were like, what are you doing? What the fuck? Leave our house. Um there's also no public record of this. His grandparents never came out say, about yeah. it. Yeah. It, he's confused. Whatever. He returns home. Uh, he gets to the home and he says that he hears um, very loud music playing. And so he enters the home. He's kind of like walking around. He goes to Allison's room and he finds her dead. Uh, and then he goes to the boy's room and finds them dead. Um... And then eventually he does find Dawn, um, and she is kind of dancing around to this loud music. Um, oh, she's she, gone cuckoo bananas. 
yeah, he says he believed that she was high at this point. Um, it was said that, like, she did occasionally enjoy Partake. a little marijuana. Oh, um, as we all do. As we all do. Here in Canada, um, <laughs> anyways, where it's legal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he said he believed she was high, but, like, she was dancing around to, like, this loud music Keep in mind, his siblings are now dead. They weren't dead before. So he says that he's he's agitated. Like, he's confused. He doesn't know what happened. So yeah. him and Don end up wrestling for the gun. And he says that he inevitably shot her in the face. And then kind of moved her to her bed to make it seem like it was the story that he later told. So in his version of the story later on in life... Uh, he would only be responsible for two murders, his father and Don. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1990, he did file for a 440 mo- motion, uh, which is kind of like a vacate conviction motion um, in New York, uh, which basically is kind of just being like, hey, my conviction was completely fucking wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. You guys need to look into it again. He alleged, of course, that um, Don and a fellow co-conspirator, I'm not sure who he thought that was, um, had slain the family and that he killed her by accident in the midst of a struggle. So he did, I guess, at one point in 1990, fully believe that this was the story um, and how the night went um, because he did try and file like legal action to be like, you convicted me wrong. But then why wouldn't he have brought that up when he was first being questioned? Have like the it's so confusing because his like his story changes so many times. And like Yeah. You could say it's because he's lying. You could also say like in the beginning his story changed so many times because maybe he was trying to defend his sister as much as he was probably devastated. Like if that is what happened, like as much as he yeah. was devastated, he was still like trying to protect her reputation even though she was dead like i don't want her to be known as the person who did this um no one will ever really know what happened that night because no one else was there but that's his version of the story i guess later in life um so in her book just to kind of once again um go over the fact that she had gotten very close like jackie uh the author had gotten very close with him and um she states i don't know whether uh ronnie defeo was bad from the inside out whether his father had convinced him he was or whether a dark spirit had invaded him at a vulnerable point in his existence so even after spending like ages talking to him she wasn't even sure well it can be hard to read a person especially a person who has like a potentially i don't want to say like what am i thinking i'm i'm my i'm thinking psychotic personality but that's not what i'm thinking but you know like a lot of people who commit these kind of crimes can kind of manipulate their personality to what they want you to perceive so it can definitely be hard yeah and that's like throughout reading um kind of her what she stated went on Uh, in their conversations she would say that he would go from being this very aggressive like domineering like personality as if like he was almost his father um to being like this weak like 
little child. Boy. And so it's, I can only He's imagine like playing... how confusing it was. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like he was playing both roles for a bit there. Yeah. So it's very clear kind of at the end of his life, he was unwell. Very unwell. There were and still are lots of theories surrounding the murders. Um, in 1977, for instance, uh, Hans Holzer, um, a self-proclaimed paranormal specialist, and another alleged medium, Ethel Myers, entered the home and stated that it had been be- um, built on Native American burial ground and an angry spirit named Rolling Thunder had possessed Ronald Jr. and driven him to murder his family. Um, this was denied by Amityville Historical Society. Ronald Jr. into my stuff here. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm getting out of it immediately. Um, Ronald Jr.'s grandfather hired a private investigator who firmly believed that one person couldn't have killed six people in their beds at night with a high-powered rifle. I guess my last little quick fact um, that I didn't find out until kind of the end of my research, and I don't think I've ever heard anyone bring up, uh, Ronald Jr. did have a wife at one point, reportedly. Um, Oh, I remember you finding this out. Aren't the dates all fucky? Yeah, they are. Uh, So Geraldine DeFeo stated uh, that she married Ronald Jr. in 1974, uh, she then changed the date to 1970. Uh, their divorce, however, allegedly states that they met in 1985, married in 1989, and divorced in 1993. Uh, there are some reports that state that friends of the family do corroborate the story of them marrying in the 70s and having a child. Uh, um, where the baby come from? So I'm not sure. I didn't delve into that too much because I already have so much information here. And I was like, that's just going to be a whole fucking other This is all, yeah. Thing. This is already a very Mel-heavy uh, episode. Not that that's yeah, a bad thing, but. Already I'm talking everyone's ear off. Okay. So I'm I'm almost done. I have one last thing. One last okay, thing. Okay, please, promise. please tell me. I'm going to end on Ronald DeFeo Jr.'s most famous quote. Do it in his voice. I don't know what the fuck he sounded like. Well, guess. Uh, 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 hey there, kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's a depressing okay, just, quote. <laughs> just do it in your own voice, I okay. guess. <laughs> I guess the Amityville horror really is supposed to be me. Because I'm the one that got convicted of killing my family. I'm the one they said who did it. I'm the one that's supposed to be possessed by the devil. Well... That's... Whether he did it or not, I hope whatever afterlife there is, he is at peace. Because it sounds like he was very mentally tortured. Yeah. Like, I hope if he did do it, he comes to peace with that. As well yeah. as everything else in his life. And yeah. if he didn't do it, I hope he still comes to peace with that. Yeah. Um. That being if said, if he didn't do it, Ronnie, we're sorry, but yeah. if you did do it, Ronnie, we're still sorry for what you went through, but you shouldn't murder people. Yeah, that being said, I um I will just say most of the evidence does point towards him having done it. Yeah. Um as tragic as that is. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I wasn't trying to say that I thought he didn't do it. At no, all. no, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, I, I don't know if it came across that way, but I'm like, no, like he, the no. evidence points to him. It was probably him. No, you're okay. I do. Ju- I just wanted to say that because I know that a lot of people that cover the story don't really cover um, kind of what he believed happened too much. And so I don't want yeah. it to seem like by me covering that, I'm diminishing anything that he did and was convicted for. Um, yeah. It's just, like I said, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, he is human, a bad human, but human. And everyone deserves yeah. to be heard in some way, unless they're a bigot, and then I'm not listening. Unless but... they're a crock of shit. <laughs> unless they're a crock of shit, and then they <laughs> fucking, even the Looney Tune people deserve to be yeah. heard. Unless that on that. I just talked on that. for fucking hours. I'm gonna How kill long myself. was it? I don't know. <laughs> you know what, guys? This might be a long one, but it should be a good one. <laughs> I'm gonna kill myself. <laughs> Our second, second ever episode. You know what? It's okay, because mine is gonna be fairly short. I have two pages of notes. Um, is there anything else you want to say before I, like, jump into it? No. Okay. Um, Yeah, so mine is going to be fairly short, probably shorter than most people expect. Uh, But that is because I was trying to do things that were like, not necessarily fact, we'll talk more about that later, but things that weren't made up exclusively for like the book or the movie. You know, I was trying to do like the initial telling of the story before it got way out of hand, if that makes sense. That makes sense to me, and I'm okay. stupid. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I would. It's just okay. They they uh, really fluffed up the story and added a lot for the book and the movie. So I I was trying to remove the fluff a little bit. <laughs> ew. Uh, ew. <laughs> ew. Oh, ew. Harm is sniffing. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm gonna tell you a story now. <laughs> so this is obviously the Amityville haunting, which took place after the murder. Uh, so this kind of focuses around the Lutz family. They moved into the DeFeo home 13 months after the murders. So in December of 1975. Which uh, my dad is so bold. Yeah, to move into a house that is like the scene of a super famous crime and just like moving your family in there so like soon after like i know it's a year but like but 13 months 13 months after what six people seven no what was it It was five kids two adults minus one kid six people okay so (laughs) six people are brutally murdered and 13 months later you're just like let me move my kids in here yay new home yay everybody pick a bedroom do you want the one that mom was killed in or the one that the kids were killed in? Oh, joy. Anyways, <laughs> the the family consisted of George Lutz. Um, so he's like the main guy in this story. Uh, Kathy Lutz, his wife, and Kathy's three children from a previous marriage. There was two boys and a girl. Um, so when they moved into this house, the price was extremely below marketplace due to marketplace market price due to the murders um so even though it was like a beautiful huge like what was it dutch colonial home yeah um, it was purchased for eighty thousand dollars so just like incredibly below market price for what it was 
because of the murders. Nobody wanted to live there. They only ended up living there for 28 days before leaving the house and, like, in the middle of the night and never returning. Uh, they paid movers to go back to the house, pick up their belongings, and then listed the house for sale. Can I add some information here? Please do. Um, while I was reading the novel that I was reading, um, Ronald Jr. does mention them leaving in the middle of the night and how it pissed him off. <laughs> Why did it piss him off? Um, because he was just like angry because they they had left so soon and they were like he was kind of left with the house to like <laughs> get rid of it again. <laughs> That is so weird. Okay, because the source I read said that they sold it back to the bank or like they uh, not sold it, but like gave it up, like <laughs> surrendered it back to the bank. It said nothing about Ronnie. I don't know why after he sold the house, he would have anything to do with it. But yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> you and know was... what? If I had to if I had to deal with the house that I murdered my family and after I thought I had sold it, I'd be pissed too. So yeah, maybe there was just like one paper he had to sign or something. And he was like, no. Oh, probably. <laughs> he was like, don't bother me. I'm trying to do weightlifting in prison. Leave me alone. I am yeah. looking at my father in the mirror. He said, I am done with this house. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah, so they uh, they left. 28 days. Not even a full month unless the month was February, but it wasn't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so this story is the inspiration for the Amityville horror book and movie, as well as other many many other movie and media adaptations is ryan um, reynolds the one that's in the 2005 2005 yep oh, yeah. i think he plays okay. i think he plays ronnie defeo though i don't think he plays anyone from the lutz family oh my god we'll have to fact check me <laughs> later but i'm pretty sure i read that i didn't i didn't include anything about ryan reynolds in my notes unfortunately uh, when he's I was trying- canadian I know he is, but I was trying to avoid the movies and the book. Okay, so uh, we're going to get into the activity now. Um, Paranormal activity, if you will. Um, Just a, like, statement. It's all alleged, you know. Uh, Whether you believe in ghosts or not, this this case specifically is a bit of a bit of a weird one. (laughs) So (laughs) everything said here is alleged. Um, We'll talk more about that later, but just wanted to, you know. Damn, he was jacked in that movie. Oh, fuck. We'll put a picture on the website. (laughs) Uh, He played uh, George. He played George? Okay, why did the source tell me that he played Ronnie DeFeo and he, like, did the murders? No, he played George. Okay, he played the dad. The stepdad. And he was jacked. I wonder if real George was jacked. I don't know. Real George seemed like a bit of a piece of work. <laughs> Not as much as like Ronald DeFeo Sr., but you know, yeah. different breed. <laughs> different genre. Different genre of weird, awful dad. Okay, so um, George was known to dabble in the occult both before moving into the house um, and during their stay. Uh, on more than one occasion, he tried to communicate with and summon spirits so a lot of people who are like oh like this was a real haunting believe that it was caused by george let's like involvement in the occult before they moved in they actually had a catholic priest bless the house on the advice of a friend uh because you know they knew about the murders like they had to be told (laughs) that had to be disclosed um so yeah they called up a catholic priest they were like hey can you come bless the house and he was like sure be right there 
Um, he got to the house and he was blessing the house and on in a bedroom on the second floor, he was yelled at by a disembodied voice to get out uh, and then told the family not to use the bedroom that he had that experience in. Oh. So, yeah, in the movie, I believe there's also like a swarm of black flies, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence of this in real life. Um, So, um, first day there, first night. Family's already experiencing weird shit, uh, reporting, feeling strange sensations throughout the house. Um, yeah. And within a few days, they were starting, like, to change. Their personalities were, like, changing. It made the guys, like, really argumentative and aggressive and led to, like, all sorts of arguments in the house between them. Um, some sources said the girls felt, like, really at peace. Um, but I didn't find anything about that in any of my sources that were not about the book or movie. So, uh, allegedly, George lets the stepfather, he would wake up at 3.15 every morning. So, the time of the approximate time of the DeFeo murders. Uh, the family members frequently smelled strange odors. The toilet bowl would turn black. Uh, there was... Right? Ew. <laughs> Someone <laughs> took a hot shit in there. That would be reason enough for me to move out. I'm sorry. I would leave. I would leave. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um... They also saw, like, a depending on the account, it was either a green, black, or red slime oozing out of, like, walls, keyholes. Like, it was on the floor. It was everywhere. Like, everything was slimy and gross. Yo, uh, they the... got that, <laughs> that fucking ectoplasm. They do. They got slimed by fucking Nickelodeon. Oh, my God. Yeah, they won an award. <laughs> yeah. Um... The garage door would allegedly open and close by itself, and it would, like, sometimes take multiple people to get it closed again. Uh, One time, a knife was knocked down in the kitchen by an invisible force, aka a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Doors would slam and open shut at all hours. Uh, Family members saw a faceless figure with demon horns and a white peaked hood. At one point, allegedly... Allegedly, at one point, once again, I would leave. Yeah, no fucking kidding. Um, please let me tell my fact about Kathy's sewing room. Okay, <laughs> you've interrupted it like three times, girl. It's okay. <laughs> at one point, I'm expecting you to say something. <laughs> <laughs> at one point, hundreds of black flies appeared in Kathy's sewing room. <laughs> In the dead of winter, so, like, yeah, in the dead of winter, so, you know, there shouldn't have been flies, there shouldn't have been many insects at all, like, in the home, but apparently there was just, like, hundreds of them in her sewing room. Um, Another, like, pretty prominent thing is that the house was always, like, super cold, especially George, he was, like, always freezing and spent a lot of time stoking the fireplace, so, you know. Maybe he had an iron deficiency, did he maybe consider that? Yeah, maybe he should have just taken in a fucking iron pill. Um, and so one of my favorite things that allegedly happened is that their daughter had an imaginary friend. Do you want to take any ganders at what this friend was like? Um, was it Ronnie? No, it wasn't Ronnie. It was a red-eyed pig named Jody. <gasps> I love her already. <laughs> so Jody told the daughter that no one could see her, her being Jody the pig, unless she wanted them to. And then you'll never guess what happened next. George and one of the sons, uh, the older son, Daniel, 
once saw a demonic pig creature with laser red eyes staring at them from their daughter's upstairs window. And so obviously they were like frightened for the daughter and like, oh my God, we got to go help her. But when they got up to this room, nothing was there. So Jody was just like, no one can see me. And then she's like, mm, I'm going to show myself to fucking stepdad and brother. Now, now, I'm sorry. If I looked up and I saw a pig with demon eyes. I would eyes run the opposite direction. In your window. I would have a little giggle. I'm going to be honest. I'd have a little giggle. I'd yeah, be like, you know what? I, that's, that's so fair. funny. I would of think all it's silly. the ghosts. Oh, see, I'd probably think it was like a silly little like drawing or cutout. And then once I realized it was like moving and breathing, I'd be like, oh, fuck. And I'd run the opposite direction, never come back. I would simply be like, of all the demons that could have chosen to stick themselves to Gwen. <laughs> a pig with red eyes named Jody. A fucking pig named Jody. So, you know, what? I'm just I sick. don't know why they were so concerned. They knew she had this imaginary friend. Yeah. They know jo- what Jody was about. I don't know why. Simply, they were worried. You knew Jody. It's kind of offensive that you would become of so you. alarmed by her appearance. <laughs> Do you think she's ugly? <gasps> anyway, she's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So my last uh, point for the activity that is like not made up for the movie and book is that George once woke up to Kathy looking like a ninety-year-old crone. She just looked old as balls, had all sorts of wrinkles. <laughs> Imagine waking up and looking over at your significant other and they've aged 70 years. Oh my god. I'd be like, I'd be like, oh, jump scare. I'd be like, oh, going back to bed. Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to try to sleep this off. <laughs> just one thing I wanted to mention that is from like the book and the movie that didn't actually happen. I feel like it's just important to clarify because it is about an animal. Um, in the book and movie, book or movie, uh, I'm not sure if it's one or both, uh, the family dog is, like, a big deal. Um, so the only thing that ever actually happened to the dog is that he tried to... So the family dog... Oh, oh dear, he said that I'm, right into the I'm, mic. I'm going to mute myself while you talk. Okay. So... The the only thing that actually happened to the family dog is that he tried to jump over a fence one time and his leash was a little short, so he was kind of dangling and choking a little bit, but he was rescued by one of the sons. Like, he was okay. Um, In the book and in the movie, they frequently talk about how the dog was, like, always trying to kill itself, whether it be by shoving itself under the garage door that was, like, slamming open and shut or, like, jumping over the fence repeatedly, trying to strangle itself. Um they in the book and movie anyways allegedly also had dreams about either the dog killing itself them killing the dog the dog watching them kill themselves or the dog killing them so i don't know what this weird thing with the dog was uh i think in the one of the movies they also had george like kill the dog the dog was okay okay i just want to let everyone know the dog was okay he's fine he he made it through he lived with crazy people, I... but he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the Ryan Reynolds version where the dog dies. Probably. Ryan Reynolds killed that fucking dog. Um, I also need you to know that while I was muted, um, Hermes was just dead staring outside, and then Tinky proceeded to dead stare outside, and that was one of the scariest things. That they said, uh, so Jody, what are you doing out there? Come on in. Come on in, girl. <laughs> 
Um, Jody, love and light. Stay <laughs> please, please don't come in. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we are done with activity for now. So I'm well, kind of. I'm going to talk about their last night in their house, the house now. Um, so this was the last night that they actually like spent in the house. This isn't the night they flee. This is the night before. Just a little clarification. Um, so apparently this was like the worst the worst night the worst it had been george woke up not being able to move so having a little bit of like sleep paralysis or something to see kathy levitating and sliding off the bed um he could also hear their son's beds upstairs like the floor above them slamming into the floor uh then the boys reported both levitating in their beds as well so apparently they were floating in their beds and just like slamming into the floor (laughs) um um yeah okay yeah there was also flickering lights. George felt a presence lurking in the room. Uh, so the next morning Ew. when they could get up, Lutz tried to call the priest to come back, but the calls would cut out as they were like making them as if something was like, uh-uh, no fucking way. Keep uh-uh, that guy out I of didn't here. like him. Yeah. Um, and then apparently they walked, like the family walked around with a crucifix saying the Lord's prayer, but a band of voices responded with, will you stop? Which, like, so fair. If I'm a demon and I'm living in this house and they're trying to get me the fuck out and I'm like, I lived here first. Will you fucking stop? Literally. Knock it off. So lots of people ended up doing investigations in this house, but I'm just going to talk about the Warrens because they're kind of iconic. You know, if you've ever seen The Conjuring, you know who they are. Um, So the Warrens did an investigation five months after the Lutz family left the home. Uh, Ed claimed to be physically pushed to the ground while in the basement. Uh, Lorraine felt something demonic in the house, was overcome with images of the DeFeo family's corpses on the floor. They also captured an alleged photo of a demon child in the basement. Uh, However, many... Oh, wait. No, not even however. Many people think it's the youngest DeFeo son, who was nine when he was murdered. Mel, do we remember his name? John john so many people think this is john uh we'll post the we'll post a picture on social media uh or the website or both or something so in 2005 many many years after this investigation lorraine told cnn that the house is evil uh, the personification of evil uh the house the house yeah the house is the personification <laughs> of evil yeah not the ghoulies inside of it but the house itself she saw its weird windows uh, that looked like eyes and was like, fuck that. <laughs> that house is a person. Ba-ba-ba. I'm going to talk a little bit about like the skeptics, like kind of kind of what skeptics say about the house. And then that's really it for me. So mine's pretty short and short and sweet. There wasn't really much that wasn't exaggerated for the book and movie. Um, so George and Kathy did take like a lie detector test, like a polygraph to prove their story and they passed. However, I think it's important that we take that with a grain of salt. You know, they don't work. They're not like usable evidence in court. <laughs> it happened for those of you who want to know, but it may as well not have. Um, the son Daniel does claim that the house ruined his life and he's still traumatized over what happened there and that he still has nightmares, but he was also quite young when they were in this house and you know i think even being told that stuff is happening can be quite traumatizing um also the family was allegedly going through a lot of legal and financial issues so some skeptics think that the story was fabricated as a way to make money like they wanted a story to sell and were like oh this house that a bunch of people were murdered in perfect um so and also ronnie defeo's lawyer william weber uh 
after like a falling out with the Lutz family about like money or whatever, claimed that they came up with the story over many bottles of wine. And Melissa has told me that apparently William Weber was also the one who was like, hey, Ronnie, tell them that the demon made you do the murder. Just go along with it so we can make money. From what I remember of Mel telling me, uh, the lawyer was and the Lutzes were like, go along with our story. Like, we're going to make a bunch of fucking money. And Ronnie was like, you guys are fucking Looney Tunes. I'm not like pretending that I was possessed and that there's demons in the house. Uh, back to the Warrens investigation, that photo of the demon son. Many skeptics believe that the demon child is actually a photo of Paul Bartz. So he was an investigator who worked with the Warrens. And they think it's a picture of him just like kneeling and wearing glasses to cause that like reflection effect. Uh, apparently, I, I didn't look into it. I didn't. I don't know why I should have, I guess. <laughs> but apparently there's like a negative of the image in which you can like very obviously tell that it's just like an adult kneeling and wearing glasses. And then... Very, very last, I think it's important to note that there were no reports of paranormal activity in the house either before the Lutzes moved in, and there hasn't been any after. Like, there have been families who have lived there for, like, over a decade since the Lutzes moved out, and there's never been a report of any strange activity, and then it was never before. I know, like, some people, I think the Warrens actually were one of the ones who were like, oh, this is an Indian burial ground, um, and that is just not true. There's just, like, there's no paranormal history with this house, and there's not been anything since. So, that's the end of uh, my piece here. I don't know if we're still doing sources. We did them last time, but I used biography.com, sci-fi.com, all those interesting.com, uh, howstuffworks.com, housebeautiful.com. That one's actually more about the house itself, and it actually talks about the... um renovations that have been done since uh travelchannel.com and usghostadventures.com so i will link them all on the website in our episode notes uh i will also link my resources even though i didn't verbally credit them yeah we probably but... don't need to verbally credit them in the future they will be on the website yeah well but... they'll be there they'll get their credit don't worry yeah so I, I'll make sure to put the photo, like the demon boy photo on the website as well, because it is kind of interesting, even if it is like a fake. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so yeah, the reason I was like, before I started talking about the activity, how I was mentioning it's all alleged is because so many people believe that this is like a faked, like haunting. Even people who are like super, super into the paranormal, like activity and like into like to the supernatural and all that like believe that the Lutz has just made this up for money just so like messed up if they did right to just like take advantage of the fact that like a whole family was murdered in this house to make money also just like i'm a skeptic but like if there are people out there that like actually have experienced things it's to take like their experiences and, and the credibility away from them yeah yeah it just kind of sucks yeah, because um, I would I would say I'm more of a skeptic than a believer as well, just because like so many people do make it up and they make up such like absurd stuff. And it's like there's no way this can actually happen. And I know that the whole point of like the supernatural is that it's like not natural, <laughs> but like you're taking credibility away from people who maybe have like real experiences or who feel like they have real experiences. And it's just not it's not fair and it's not it's not it's not kind be kind yeah be kind 
kind, guys. Don't make up paranormal stories. I never know what to do about paranormal experiences. Like, I've had, like, potentially one before that Mel knows about, but isn't really worth mentioning here just because it was, like, nothing really. Um, I never know what to do with, like... But, okay. Um, so, like, even watching, like... Okay, BuzzFeed Unsolved. Um, or what are they called now? The Watchers? Like, the... Yeah. Yeah. Or Watchers. Watcher. Watcher. They'll catch some, like... What is it called? EVP? Electronic Voice Phenomena? And it's just, like... Mm-hmm. If that's not real, it is such a weird fucking coincidence, and I just don't know what to make of it. You know? Yeah. Especially when they have whole conversations. Yeah, like... But, like... Sorry, go ahead. I just, like... I'm a I'm a skeptic, but at the same time, I run up the stairs. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a when the lights. I'm off. a skeptic, but I hate doing laundry <laughs> because it feels gross in our basement. Um, I'm a uh, I'm a skeptic, but the door being cracked open for the basement right now is freaking me oh, out. I'm a skeptic, but we saw a not deer one time. <laughs> what was happening? <laughs> peacefully um and then as you can hear my beloved um yeah no I can, me dog I can hear it through the headphones but not over the call <laughs> my my beloved son um jumped up Aww. while i was telling you that i was freaked out and started screaming at the door Ew. but he has this specific scream that he does when there's a person and that's what it sounded like, and that's why I screamed. Oh, <laughs> like at the at the basement door? No, at the back door. Ew. You know what though? Our neighbors are kind of strange. Sometimes they just like stare into our house because uh, um, we we live in like a situation where our back doors face each other, and there's not like a fence across the backyards, and they're like glass sliding doors. And so sometimes they'll stare out of their door into ours, and I'm like, what the? What are you looking at? Oh my god. I just had a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope oh. I hope the bedtime story was good for you and that you don't have nightmares. Oh, I think Snowball's snoring. What is out there? Okay. I'm not looking. I do not see. Ew. Okay, Snowball's snoring, but he's doing an old man snore where it's like, ah. <laughs> and so it's like fucking frightening. You fucking scared me. You said... There's nothing out there. And then when you went, you went, ew. And I was like, what? <laughs> There's so much out, out there. there. So before the ghosts get us, <laughs> we were both just saying how we're skeptics and now we're like freaking ourselves out. Okay. Right. Uh, we're going to skedaddle. <laughs> yes. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, If you identify as a woman, you're 22 or 19 and you live in Houston, Texas, I love you. I hope you have the best time. Um. <laughs> if, if, if you're, you're you else. identify as a female and you are 18 19 to 22 or whatever and you live in ontario i love you yeah i hope you guys don't feel forgotten but sorry you're not my favorites um you're my favorites <laughs> so you can find us on twitter aka x ew um <laughs> or instagram at cryptic chatter p once again cryptic chatter podcast and cryptic chatter pod were both taken if you own those please Give them. <laughs> Give them um, our website. I don't know the. I don't. Is insane. So we'll just link it in the episode. Uh, I believe it's linked thing. in our 
social medias and in our podcast itself like on the about page you can find it on there there is some like little introductions to us you can contact us through there we're also putting like episode notes on there so any like content warnings what we're going to be talking about if we want to show you guys any pictures also the links to our sources is all going to be on there uh if you feel like emailing us just do it through the website but also the email is cryptic chatter podcast at gmail.com if you don't trust wix.com which you know what fair that's so fair right now yeah. Uh, so yeah we'll try to get we'll try to get our website sorted out like try to get a less awful company um okay guys Hermie's gonna say goodbye and then we're gonna go yeah Hermie? I don't hear him saying shit you didn't... yeah you didn't hear any of that I'm yeah. so sorry but he did say goodbye I promise anyways everybody have a good day we will have a uh, have another chat next Sunday fam- fantastic week yes we'll miss you so much especially if you are age 19 to 22 identify as female and are from oh my god leave her alone (laughs) (laughs) i'm just i'm gonna scuttle away now okay all right goodbye